Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Thinking Theologically podcast, the show where we teach you how and why you should think theologically. I am one of your hosts, Jack Dodgen, joined by our resident theologian in training, Spencer Shaw. Spencer, how you doing? Doing pretty good. Are you getting as much rain down there as we are up here? Uh, no. Do you know how I'm, much rain we, we're getting here? You should, well, there might be background information necessary. To, it's well, raining insane up here. We were supposed to, like they, I, they were, um, at least. So today's we're recording on on Wednesday. So Tuesday and Wednesday this week, in particular. I mean, they were warning uh, Monday and Tuesday of flooding and all that kind of stuff. We were yeah. supposed to get a bunch. Um, I, it didn't rain at all. <laughs> Uh, yesterday, so Tuesday. Nice. At least when I went to bed, I, I, I'm assuming we got something overnight, but it was supposed to later in the day, all night, all day today, kind of a thing. And it, it hasn't rained today, at least since I got up. So, you know, somewhere between like 1030-ish, I guess, and 8 this morning. You you probably a, got you a got little bit, ten thirty, but uh, no, ten thirty last night oh, okay. is when I went to bed. Okay, I was up by I was up by eight My this bed. morning. <laughs> okay, good. I mean, I could have slept until ten thirty. I mean, it's not like I've got I a lot know, that I'm I doing know, right now. <laughs> uh, but I did get up to study and prepare for this podcast. Oh. So, all of you listening, you're welcome. Um, this is the first one he's prepared for, so it should so, be really good. <laughs> So I don't, I, I know it may sound like it, but it's not, to, I'm not totally winging it, just the halfway winging it. Yeah. Yeah, no. And uh, this is a good one to not wing it on because this one gets interesting. This one gets interesting. So last episode, we uh, we talked about, uh, we talked about Paul and just laid the foundation of how he writes things, his language, his worldview, and all of that, which will be a fantastic resource for you. Uh, as we go through, I think we determined three, this being the first of, of three um, mm-hmm. big texts from Paul on new creation stuff. So I will be sure to have that episode in our show notes, probably at the very bottom for all three of these. Uh, just as a reference point, uh, at the very least, look at the notes from that episode, and they'll be very helpful to you. Um, but definitely go back and listen to that if you have not already. Uh, you can do that by going to thinkingtheologically.org, where that uh, episode is, or wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, also, be sure to like us on Facebook at Thinking Theologically, uh, because we've got additional content that's coming out as well. We are talking about a potential one of those things uh, here today that came out of Spencer's preparation time this morning, where uh, we didn't have enough time to prep for this thing but it was enough of a thought that it's bothering him and so maybe he'll pursue some more uh whenever his- so you're welcome again yeah. for getting up at a decent <laughs> hour of the morning <laughs> to prepare and not getting up just to eat lunch i appreciate um, it i i was up at 5 45 but i was not effective at anything until about 10 so i probably should have just stayed in bed but that's, that is what it is. Uh, also, make sure that you contact us on Facebook or email at strongchurchministries at gmail.com or on Twitter uh, with Spencer. 
uh, I'm still not there and probably never coming back because no point. Because I'm, I don't have I'm, any friends who will ever potentially be in the Super Bowl and therefore will never have a good following. I'm also on uh, uh, Instagram, TikTok. I mean, you can find me anywhere. I am in none of those places. So, I have crossed the threshold into being old. Snapchat, you can <laughs> Snapchat me. I'm, I'm none uh, of these places. Uh, so if it, uh, I mean, I, we could probably go back and pull up a MySpace or something like that. Uh, I might have, so, the mine might still be there. I might still be I don't there. know. <laughs> but you can definitely email me, get, get to us on Facebook, either the Facebook page or personally, if you know us and are friends with us. Uh, and if you're not friends with us, but you want to be friends with us, then send a friend request can't hurt. Worst case scenario, you get, uh, rejected and have to deal with that. Um, also, I don't reject anybody, so <laughs> feel free. Uh, you can also comment on thinkingtheologically.org, and we see those as well. So, All right, uh, today is the first of our uh, three major texts from Paul. Uh, again, I, and I think we mentioned this in the previous episode, there are passages all over the place. Paul, writing the bulk of our New Testament, uh, has... I mean, he's going to carry the same worldview in, though he's dealing with different issues in different places. Uh, he is going to come back to this idea of new creation, at least in some some way, uh, in all of his writings and addressing these issues, because that's where it all goes back to him or where it's going for him, uh, maybe I should say. Uh, but there are a few passages that are just very central to all of this. So if you've got a Bible with you, uh, 1 Corinthians 15 is the place that we're going to be today. Uh, hopefully with some amount of speed, we're going to break down this massive chapter. <laughs> it's a huge chapter. Uh, if you've read through 1 Corinthians 15... Uh, 58 verses. Yeah, it, it fits the rest of the book where you have an issue that's being dealt with within the Corinthian church, as most of the chapters do. That's just how the letter is broken out, uh, is addressing all of these various issues. But in chapter 15, with this topic of resurrection and things, it just seems like Paul, knows, he's winding the letter down, and he just tees off on this subject. Uh, he, he gives us a little more than he needs to, which is nice. Uh, but it gives us a lot of stuff to discuss, and so that's what we're going to attempt to do uh, today. So we're going to start by looking at the first 11 verses here, the introduction of 1 Corinthians 15, uh, and I'll let Spencer jump in on that, and if he has anything to say before that, you know, Spencer, go right ahead. Uh, yeah, I would just emphasize, if if you can, try to follow along in 1 Corinthians 15 as we move through it. Um, at minimum, I would recommend maybe even pausing and reading 1 Corinthians 15 because we're we're not going to get into a lot of actually reading the text, but a lot of summarizing and referencing to it just to save time. Uh, so it would be helpful for you as the listener to spend maybe a little bit of time reading through just to kind of familiarize yourself with what Paul's saying and the yeah. argument that he's making uh, as we kind of dissect it. Uh, a little bit and just referencing to it rather than actually reading the text. So and just as, a, a bit of, of advice that might uh, make this episode a little easier to understand might be helpful for you. But with that in mind, we'll kind of jump in to the first section of Romans 
15, uh, Romans 15, 1 Corinthians 15. Be in Romans next week. Uh, <laughs> next week is, is, is Romans. I'm getting ahead of myself a little right. bit. 1 Corinthians 15. So Paul opens up 1 Corinthians 15 uh, in the first 11 verses by introducing for us the topic of the resurrection. And the resurrection is going to be the subject matter that's going to concern Paul throughout the entirety of 1 Corinthians 15. And he introduces that to us in the first 11 verses. And Paul does this by reminding the Corinthians of the gospel that he taught to them. So when when Paul was with them, he's reminding them of the gospel, the good news that he taught them the gospel which he reminds them that they believed it wasn't it, this isn't just the gospel that paul taught but as christians he remind he's reminding them this is the good news that you believed that you put your faith in and paul says through which they are being saved so paul's reminding them of the gospel that they were taught that they believed and the gospel that is saving them and at the center of the gospel paul says is the death burial, and resurrection of Christ. It's interesting if you read through Paul's letters and you see these moments where Paul kind of quickly and concisely summarizes the gospel. Um, One example is verses 3 through 11 here, 1 Corinthians 15. I think of like Philippians 2 and the Christ hymn as another example Mm -hmm. where Paul kind of quickly and concisely says, this is what the gospel, this is what the good news of Jesus is. And it all centers around Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. What's interesting about 1 Corinthians 15 is Paul begins his description of the gospel by saying, For I handed on to you as of first importance what I in turn had received. So Paul's description of the gospel in verses 3 through 11 is something that predates Paul. Paul says, This was given to me, and then I in turn passed it on to you. And when you read it, it kind of seems like that, like it's kind of like a pre-formatted version of the gospel. It's almost as if uh, I've compared it sometimes to, you know, we have different things that we use in evangelism to try to make it easier to remember and to pass on. So like uh, hear, believe, confess, repent, be baptized, five points of salvation or something like that, which like any pre-constructed thing, has strengths and weaknesses to it. But that's kind of what Paul, it seems Paul's doing here, something that Christians have thought out and kind of put together even before Paul as a quick way to explain and teach others the gospel. And Paul says that the gospel is that Jesus died for our sins, according to the scriptures, that he was buried and that he was raised And then Paul goes on to describe how the raised Christ appeared to all these people. And lastly, how he uh, appeared to Paul himself. And so for Paul, that's what the good news is. The good news is that Jesus died, was buried, and was raised. And that's good news because of what that means, salvation, so on and so forth. And Paul will delve into that a little bit uh, more. But In beginning this way, in describing the gospel as being the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, this connects Paul not only to where he's already been in the first 14 chapters, but also where he's going throughout the rest of chapter 15. So, for example, the cross, Jesus' death, is at the heart of the gospel. 
which is central to Paul's plea throughout the letter for humility and love among the Corinthians. The, the Corinthians are at odds with one another in several ways. Uh, Paul addresses, you know, everything from worship, Lord's Supper. We think of maybe even 1 Corinthians 11, things, things like that, where there's issues going on within the members of the Corinthian church. And Paul's, some of the points that Paul makes is that when you look at Jesus, particularly when you look at the cross, you see the image of the humility and love that Christians are to have for one another. And Paul says the Corinthians need to be better at that. The resurrection, which is at the center of the gospel, uh, is important to Paul's exhortation regarding life and treatment of our physical bodies. Things like uh, sexual immorality were a problem in Corinth. And Paul's point of why that's a bad thing is if our bodies are going to be raised, then it's important how we treat and what we do with our bodies now. And part of that means not engaging in sexual immorality. Paul connects the resurrection to ethics around sex. And then the fact that Christ appeared to Paul himself helps to reinforce Paul's authority and apostleship, which is actually under attack by people in the Corinthian church, have begun to question Paul's authority as an apostle. And so Paul's saying, yes, Jesus' resurrection is central to the gospel, and the resurrected Christ appeared to me, which kind of supports Paul defending his apostleship, which we see him doing to the Corinthians as well. Uh, but that also not only connects with what Paul has previously been doing, because again, for Paul, everything comes back to the gospel. Everything we are and do as Christians comes back to the gospel, the heart of which, as Paul begins, is the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. But that also helps prepare Paul to move forward to the question that he wants to address beginning in verse 12. And that is the issue that there are some in Corinth who appear not to believe in the resurrection, that they don't believe that Christians are going to be raised. And that's very, very problematic for Paul because, as Paul's going to argue, that destroys the gospel, which is the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. But before we moved into that next section, I'll pause real quick. Um, see if, Jack, do you have any uh, additional um, comments? Yeah, no, I don't. I don't think that I do. Um, I was uh, I was thinking about another kind of uh, as you were talking about the summary summarizing of the gospel. Um, thinking about I was just in First Timothy last Sunday morning and it talks about uh, God wanting uh, all to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth, which is then defined in the next couple verses of one God, one mediator. And then it talks about Christ's death and how that was the plan all along. And so you have mm-hmm. you have that as the central, you know, everything. And like I, I led with when we opened this podcast up of uh, Paul through First Corinthians dealing with all of these issues, everything comes back to cross or resurrection. That's always been the case. It's 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 the central theme in every sermon in the Book of Acts, even the ones to. Uh, the uh, the Gentiles in Acts 17 and the Jewish people of Acts 2, it's resurrection. It is always a defining characteristic of uh, the gospel and the gospel message and why we do the things that we do, uh, why the Christians don't fear death, because why would you uh, if the resurrection is going to happen yep. and all this, which sets up 
this very serious problem, uh, as you've already gotten into a little bit here of, yeah, there is no resurrection, which is a common issue that comes up in the New Testament, uh, that either your body doesn't matter, so do whatever you want with it, or there is no resurrection, or you missed the resurrection, it already happened. Mm -hmm. Very common thing to point to. I'm not sure why that is. I'm not sure why that was a go-to. Maybe we'll, maybe that'll come up here in all of this, but common problem nonetheless, and one that Paul's quite happy to address here with all of its logical implications both ways, and uh, we're grateful for it, because this this chapter is very good uh, as far as a layout with the resurrection. Uh, do you want to talk about the, the, the problem now as we move into this next section of 12 through 34. Yeah, yeah. It, it, it's interesting that, that you point out that there we do see several places where there's issues regarding the resurrection that Paul has to, to deal with. Um, that would be interesting to delve into. I, I haven't before, but just initial thought, I, I wonder if it has something to do with, so, you know, most Christians early on are Jews, and you have Jewish sects such as the uh, Sadducees who don't believe in the resurrection. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so I, I wonder if you, and I'm not sure if there's any way to prove how that would be, because you'd have to figure out who the early Christians were being taught by, what groups were they uh, a part of. But the, the Sadducees were also those running the temple at the time. Um, the Pharisees, we see Jesus interacting with them more, but they were kind of in outlier group with no power at the time. The Sadducees had the power uh, in the first century, mm. not the Pharisees. Um, anyways, that has nothing to... We may, that have is, to we may have to do another thing on that. That has no <laughs> bearing on where we're going, but that is an interesting... That is an interesting question. That might have to be an article. Anyways, the, the, the problem, though, is that it appears, at least, that some of the Corinthians uh, believe that there is no resurrection, uh, that Christians are not going to be resurrected. Paul's problem with that, and, and Paul addresses that belief in verses 12 through 34. Paul addresses that problem of Christians not being resurrected. And Paul's problem with that belief is that the gospel— as Paul has just defined, a central tenet being that Christ was resurrected. Paul's problem with that is that he argues that the gospel necessitates the resurrection of Christians, that you don't have the Christian gospel without the Christian resurrection. And Paul argues that by saying that if Christians are not going to be resurrected, there's a couple things that that means. The first thing Paul says that means is that Christ was not raised. Paul says, if if uh, Christians are not raised, then Christ was not raised. Well, if Christ was not raised, Paul says, that means we as Christians are still in our sins. There's no salvation from sins if Christ wasn't raised. Yep. If there's no salvation, then Paul says, our faith is pointless. Well, what's the point of having faith and believing in Christ if he wasn't raised from the dead and therefore didn't save us from anything? And then Paul even adds to that, that that also means we've lied about God because we as Christians claim that Christ was raised from the dead. And if all that's true, Paul kind of ends his introductory dealing with that question 
by saying in verse 19 that we of all people are most to be pitied. I mean, we, people, in essence, Paul says, if if Christians are not going to be raised, then everyone should feel so sorry for Christians because we're wasting our time. Yeah. Because Christ wasn't raised, therefore we're not saved, therefore our faith is pointless and we're liars about God. I mean, that's just where where Paul goes. And he says, all of that is wrapped up together. If Christ was raised and saved us from our sins, then Paul's argument is that those who have faith in Christ wait to be resurrected in the manner of Christ. That's kind of Paul's line uh, of logic. So that means, Paul argues, that if Christ has been raised, then the Christian has a hope of resurrection just like Christ. Christ's resurrection necessitates our resurrection in the manner of Christ. That's the whole implications of the gospel. And so, in other words, Paul says, if Christians aren't going to be raised, the entire gospel falls apart. There is no good news. But if you believe in the good news, which again, remember, Paul opens up by reminding the Corinthians what they were taught and what they believed, and that was that Christ was raised from the dead. And he said, if you actually believe that has taken place, that there is good news, then that means that you have the hope and that you will be resurrected when Christ returns. But what's interesting is that in this second section, verses 12 through 34, Paul's way of describing this relationship between Christ's resurrection and our resurrection is through Jesus as the new Adam which we discussed at more in more detail than we're going to now in the previous episode because where we looked at Paul's theology, Paul's understanding of Jesus because this idea of Jesus as the new Adam shows up all throughout Paul's letters. It's one of mm-hmm. Paul's favorite ways to think about the salvation in Christ. And so real quickly I'll just describe the way this argument goes here in 1 Corinthians 15. If you want more discussion on that, see our previous episode uh, where we talk about that in more detail. But Paul's yep. argument here is he says that through a human being, death came into the world. That human being being Adam. Through Adam, death came into the world. But through another human being, life or resurrection from the dead has come into the world. That second human being being Christ. And so you see the comparison and contrast. Both Adam and Christ are human beings. Both death and life come through the work of a human being. Uh, now, Christ was more than a human being. That's why he could provide life. But the, Paul's point is it, it's through human beings that both have come. The difference is that through Adam came death, through Christ comes resurrection from the dead. And That moves Paul on to describe how when Christ returns and Christians are raised from the dead in the same way that Christ was, Paul says that Christ is the first fruits of our resurrection, and then come those who belong to Christ. So Christ has been raised. When he returns, those who belong to Christ will be raised in the same way, and that will be the final victory of the kingdom of God over death, right? Jesus has already won the victory over death. Uh, The kingdom of God has already won. We talked about that in the apocalyptic worldview that we looked at in the last couple of episodes, going all the way back to our discussion of Jesus in the Gospels. 
But the full final victory over death is when Christ returns, Christians are raised from the dead, and there is no more death. Death is completely done away with uh, completely and totally. And what this does is this becomes the final restoration of humanity back to the way that we were before Adam brought death into the world. And we talked about that in the last episode by Paul discussing Jesus as the new Adam, as both death and resurrection coming through human beings. He's presenting us with the idea that as human beings, what Christ is doing is he's reversing what Adam has brought upon us. What Jesus is doing and what the resurrection does is it brings us back to live as the human beings that God created and designed us to live, that kind of life being destroyed because of sin that was brought into the world through Adam, which again is being reversed now in the human being slash God, Jesus. And we see the fullness of that, that return to that kind of a, of a life when we are resurrected, when Christ returns and all things are made new. Yeah. Uh, for more on the new Adam stuff specifically, you know, check the show notes and the the previous episode. Um, going from from there into this next section here, I assume if Paul is going to not just here but in other places uh, make this connection to Adam uh, with with Christ, I would assume that that's going to play some part in what our potential resu- resurrection bodies are going to look like uh, or how they might function. Uh, I would assume there's a reason that he's using that as the illustration connection, other than the fact that he's just a well-educated in the Old Testament scriptures uh, Jew, uh, that he would go to garden imagery through the individual of Adam. Uh, Just, yeah, well, (laughs) tell us, answer this question. What's our resurrection body going to look like? Can you give well, me the yeah, quick answer? <laughs> so, j- just real quick. I mean, it's a very easy question. But yeah. Paul is pretty good at anticipating follow-up questions yes. or arguments that could be made against what he said. And when, when Paul does this, it doesn't necessarily mean that his audience is asking that or that anybody's asking it. Sometimes it does, but not necessarily Sometimes Paul's just anticipating what people are going to be thinking or the questions people are going to be asking as a result of his argument. And so Paul's next question, verse 35, Paul says, But someone will ask, how are the dead raised? What kind of body do they come? With what kind of body do they come? And so Paul's anticipating that If people have followed his argument to this point and agree with him, it's like, okay, at the heart of the gospel is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. The resurrection of Jesus means we as Christians are going to be resurrected. Okay, Paul, I'm with you. I now agree with you on that. Uh, Paul understands that the next logical question is probably, okay, well, what does that look like? What, What kind of bodies are we going to have in the resurrection? And so this is where things, when we start thinking about new creation, about the reality that there is going to be, at least to some degree, a physicality in heaven, this is where 
uh, the Paul's discussion really starts to address that kind of question when we start thinking about, okay, well, what are our bodies going to look like when we're resurrected? And in essence, the point that Paul makes in verses 35 through uh, the end of the chapter in verse uh, 58 is that our resurrection bodies will be similar to our current body, but uh, different. And he begins by illustrating this point by referring to the bodies of plants, uh, animals versus human beings, and stars. And uh, the, the way that th- this goes, Paul seems in this section to, he keeps coming back to this idea of, of sowing, so this plant imagery. And it, it seems to me that the idea is you, you take the seed of a plant. You put it in the ground, and out of that seed comes whatever plant that seed is from, right? You know, and uh, a seed of one tree isn't going to produce a different kind of tree. Uh, seeds produce after their kind. And so the, the idea, though, is that the plant that comes from that seed is the same plant as the seed, but it looks different, right? There's a similarity. It's the same plant, but there's a difference. The grown plant looks different than the seed. There's a change that happens. And Paul's point is that the resurrection's going to be the same. Our resurrection bodies are going to be similar. It's still you. It's still your Body, You're not someone or something different. In the same way, the grown plant is still the same plant as the seed. But it's going to be different. There's there's a change that's going to happen in the same way that there's a change from the seed to when it sprouts and produces a plant. It's the same plant, but there's a change. It's similar but different. And the resurrection is going to be the same. Our resurrection bodies, again, it's still going to be you... But there's a change that has to happen. And so it's going to be slightly different. And Paul also uh, illustrates this idea with animal and human bodies. Uh, He he says that all bodies are different, right? So a human being's body is different than a bird's body, which is different than a fish's body, which is different than a dog's body. I mean, that's obvious, right? They're, They're all different. They look different. There's all kinds of differences, but at the same time, an animal is still an animal. There's a, you could say there's a certain similarity between all animal bodies. They're different than plants, right? They're different than stars. There's, and so, again, there's a similarity, but there's also differences. And that's the point that Paul's getting at again, that our resurrection bodies are going to be similar but different. He compares that to stars and planets Uh, The sun is different than the moon, which is different than other stars, which is different than other planets. But at the same time, a planet is still a planet, right? A star is still a star, even though they are all different. So again, similarities, but uh, differences. And so once again, Paul's main argument is that our resurrection bodies are going to be similar, but different than our current body. And the difference, Paul says, uh, 
is that he describes our current bodies as perishable, as dishonorable, as weak, as physical. Uh, That is, they die. They get sick. They sin. They're under the power and the control of sin. That's the way our current bodies are. However, Paul says that our resurrection bodies are going to be a body that is imperishable, that is glorified, that is powerful, that is spiritual. That is, uh, it will be a body that is no longer controlled by sin and death, but a body that is controlled by the Holy Spirit. Uh, Remember, Paul describes our resurrection bodies as a spiritual body. Go back, listen to our last episode. We talked about how when Paul uses the word spirit or spiritual, it's almost always in one way or another speaking of a connection to the Holy Spirit. And that seems to be the idea here, that our resurrection body is going to be fully under the power and the control of the Holy Spirit, fully under the power and control of God. So it's, in other words, it's no longer controlled by sin and death. So it's a body that will never die again. It's a body that will no longer sin. It's a body that won't get sick. It's it's a body, in other words, that's reminiscent of the original Adam prior to sin. It's a body, again, that's returned to the kind of body, the kind of life, the kind of existence that God created and designed us to live in. Now, little side note, this is what we were talking about earlier that I... uh, I knew, but the significance of it, for whatever reason, hit me more fully today. Hmm. Um, Paul's comparison is between our, he calls our body now a physical body and our resurrection body a spiritual body. And there's a couple things that's interesting about the language that Paul uses there. First, he calls them both a body. He uses the word soma which again, referring to the last episode, is the word that Paul uses to talk about our physical bodies that you can see and touch and smell. Um, so he, he calls them both a body. And so the, again, there seems to be a physicality there that what Paul's comparing and contrast, what, what, what Paul is contrasting is not a physical body and some completely different spiritual disembodied existence but he's comparing a body and a body he's comparing your body and your body the difference is paul says the one now is physical and the one that is to come is spiritual now what's interesting is that the word physical that paul uses is um a derivative of the word suke which as we again talked about in the last episode paul uses to refer to life or to a living being, as opposed to a spiritual body, where he uses the word panuma, which we talked about again last week, is almost always in reference to the Holy Spirit, to God's Spirit in some form or fashion. Uh, Which is interesting because Paul describes our physical body as perishable, as dishonorable, as weak. You know, that's the idea of being under the control of sin and death. So you would almost expect... Paul to use the word for flesh, sarks, because as we talked about last week, that's the word that Paul uses to talk about our current state of being under the control of sin. 
Uh, so it's interesting that Paul uses the word for life or for living being. So you have a living body versus a spiritual body. Um, it's not the word. It's not the language that you would expect Paul to use. But the reason he does, Jack and I were talking about this before we got started. It seems to me that maybe the reason Paul is doing that is because his primary contrast has to do with life and death. That's the kind of the theme of 1 Corinthians 15, that our current body is a body that can and will die because it's under the power of sin. And sin leads to death. Death is a result of sin. But the body that is to come, our resurrection or spiritual body, is a body that will not die because it is a body that is no longer under the control and the power of sin. So there is no more death once we are resurrected. That seems to be the main point that Paul is is making. But the point for what we're talking about is simply that Paul is not contrasting a physical body and some disembodied existence. Both are bodies. Both are somas. The difference is a body that's under the control of sin and death and a body that is no longer controlled by sin and therefore a body that will not die. And so that's the difference. It's similar because it's still a body. It's still you. It's still your body. But it's different because the resurrection body won't die. It's a body that's not under the control of sin. Now, all the implications of what that means and what that will look like, Paul doesn't get into. I don't think we can really know. But that's the point that Paul is making. And I think we see that when he summarizes his point in verse 50, when he says, Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. And Paul begins that by saying, what I am saying, brothers and sisters, right? So he's telling us, this is the point. Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does perishable inherit the imperishable. And that's a passage that some people will go to to say, see, resurrection, eternal life isn't physical at all because flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Uh, But remember, go back to last episode, when Paul uses the word flesh, He's not using that to refer to our physical bodies, but he's using that to refer to our bodies that are under the power of sin and death, which goes back to the whole point that we've seen Paul making. Our bodies now die. Our bodies that are resurrected don't because they're freed from the power of sin. And so once again, in saying this, Paul's point is not that our physical bodies will not be raised and be a part of heaven, but that a change must occur. Our bodies will be similar, again, but they'll be different. Our new existence will be one that's no longer controlled by sin and death, but one that is controlled by the Holy Spirit and eternal life. Um, Two final comments real quick to make on all this. Uh, The first is that it's important to note that Paul's entire argument here is based on the reality that Christians have certain hope to be resurrected just as Christ was resurrected, right? Again, our resurrection is connected to Christ. If we're not raised, Christ wasn't. But if Christ was, we will be. And the implication to that is that our resurrection bodies will be like Christ's resurrected body, that we'll be resurrected just as Jesus was. And Christ's body 
was physically raised. His resurrection body was a physical body. The tomb was empty. It wasn't that Jesus' physical body was still there and now he had some spiritual body, but but the tomb was empty. Again, that's central to the gospel. Things fall apart if the tomb wasn't empty. But in his resurrected body, Jesus walked and talked with people. Other people could recognize his body. They could look at him and say, well, that's Jesus. He showed Thomas the holes in his hands and his feet. He ate and drank. But yet again, his body was different. Uh, He appeared and disappeared. He walked through walls into locked rooms, things like that. So you see even in Jesus the idea that Paul's trying to get across about our future resurrected bodies, that they'll be similar but different. Uh, The last thing that I want to mention is simply that the whole concept of resurrection necessitates some kind of physicality because you cannot resurrect something that has not died. The whole idea of resurrection is something going from death to life. So as Christians, we believe that, yes, there's a part of us that lives on even when our physical body dies, soul, spirit, whatever word you want to use. But the problem with just a spiritual heaven is that you can't resurrect a spirit. The idea of resurrecting something like a spirit makes no sense because it hasn't died. You can't you can't resurrect something that hasn't died. So in my opinion... The only part of us that can be resurrected, the only part that Paul can be talking about is our actual bodies, just like with Christ. Yes, they will be changed. Yes, they will be different. And that centers around not being under the power of sin and death. But it has to be the body that's resurrected because you can't resurrect anything else because that's the only part of us that dies, which is Paul's point here. At least... That's what it seems like. That seems to a good us. point, yeah. Yeah, the uh when you were saying that before, the thought of the, you know, no resurrection all this stuff. Yeah. We are most to be pitied, but he also throws in that uh let us eat and drink for tomorrow we die sort of thing cuz yeah, that's the logical conclusion. If sin's not been dealt with and nothing's going to happen with our bodies, then do whatever you want with your body, which is, as you know, uh, and maybe our listeners know as well, with all of the, you miss the resurrection, there is no resurrection, or even Jesus didn't actually die on the cross, which comes around a little bit later. Um, all the implications of that are always, so do whatever you want with your body. <laughs> That's the common issue. Um, but with a resurrection belief, with a new creation belief, that also affects what you do with your body. This goes back to our discussion on why did Jesus come to the fle- in the flesh to die? Um, so if you haven't listened to that episode, that's a good one to go back and listen to as well, uh, because God is interested in, in the whole thing. Uh, and Paul's words, uh, as we saw, I think, today, and you'll see in our next couple of episodes, uh, as well as our, our foundational one with Paul, as well as all the other content that we're seeing uh, from uh, in the Gospels with Jesus, with Isaiah, with our Genesis passages there, uh, what we'll see moving forward ahead as well with Peter and John. There is this repeated emphasis on God is wanting to redeem it all. Uh, redeem everything, and that includes, as has been said so many times, uh, the body, uh, and that we're moving from a body to a different body. Go ahead. Well, and 
last thing that I have to say, and and I don't think this is an overstatement, but I think you could summarize Paul's point in 1 Corinthians 15 that if our physical bodies aren't raised, the entire gospel falls apart. You might as well throw everything out. That, that, that Paul is kind of making the point that that is an essential piece that if you take out, the entire project falls apart. Yeah. And yeah. so I think we have to adequately deal with that. Now, now, we can debate how that's going to work, and that's fine. But if we're coming from a foundation of anything other than our physical bodies being raised— Paul would say, you might as well not believe in anything else. Yep. Not saying that if you believe something different, you're not saved or going to heaven or anything like that. Don't misunderstand me. But the logic of everything else falls apart. Right. Right. Yeah. And that's why it's important to understand that he begins with the gospel, zooms in on the resurrection part of that gospel, and then its application to us, uh, both present and future. Uh, in the rest of the book. Uh, and these are all, this is all what happens if this thing is true. But if it's not true, then we of all people are most to be pitied. So uh, I imagine this has brought, uh, hopefully, some questions. Uh, hopefully, as you read through it as well, I was going to say this earlier, as you read through First Corinthians 15 on your own, uh, if there are questions that arise from that, Make sure that you comment those things. Uh, maybe it's something that we can answer a little more quickly in a, in a paragraph response to you. Maybe it's something that warrants an article or an episode uh, all to itself. But we'd love to hear from you uh, in any way that you can get in contact with us. Uh, Facebook for both of us or our Facebook page, Thinking Theologically. Commenting on thinkingtheologically.org. Uh, emailing us at strongchurchministries at gmail.com or literally any social media website that's ever existed for Spencer. Uh, and we'll be able to we'll be able to respond to whatever questions or thoughts or comments uh, that you might have. All right, that's uh, that's Paul in First Corinthians fifteen. Next episode, uh, we'll see Paul in in Romans eight. Lord willing, unless things change, we get flooded out or something like that. Who knows? But I'm looking forward to it. Hope you're enjoying the study uh, through new creation, and we'll see you next time.